You're listening to the Chris Voss Show podcast. We interview the smartest people in the room, the CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators to fill up your brain and make you better looking. Here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast with all the most brilliance of minds in the world. Is brilliance of minds, is that a thing? I don't know. I went to public school. Anyway, guys, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe to us on that thing called youtube.com, Fortune's Chris Voss. Uh, we have this really cool technology where most of the uh, podcast you're going to hear is on audio if you're listening right now, but you can watch the video part of it. And it's really cool. Your eyes will thank you. You can go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss and refer the show, of course, to the cvpn.com or Chris Voss podcast.com. There's nine podcasts over there with so much information, details, and episodes. You may experience serious brain bleed. Anyway, guys, we certainly appreciate you being here and sharing the podcast uh, with us. So uh, today we have a most excellent author and brilliant guest on, as always, of course, but uh, this one is very special because she's uh, I don't know, the smartest author we have on today. So there you go. Um, it's Lisa Peterson. She's a certified financial planner, and she's on a mission to help 1 million people elevate their financial consciousness by realizing their true value and creating financial security for themselves. As a coach and a mindset teacher, Lisa's uh, host the Mindful Millionaire podcast, as well as virtual workshops and life-transforming retreats. Her masterful blend of sound financial strategy and mindfulness training helps people break free of patterns of lack, scarcity, and money fears, allowing them to finally lead the rewarding, fulfilling, and abundant lives they most desire. She's appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes, The Week, Washington Post, and has been featured on many podcasts and radio shows. Uh, You name it, uh, it seems like she's been on it. And she's got a most excellent book that we're going to talk about today, The Mindful Millionaire. It's a revolutionary program for finding peace, joy, and prosperity inside of your relationship with money. And welcome to the show, Lisa. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. I, we're so happy to have you. Do we cover you pretty good there? Do we get yeah. we get most of the stuff in? You had so many accolades on your bio. I mean, I, I it, it was going to take me about an hour to go through the whole show of the accolades. So uh, those who, who would like to can go to your website and check them out. So Lisa, give us the dot coms. We can go uh, see you on the interwebs. So you can go to mindfulmillionairebook.com or wealthclinic.com. And both of those places will, you'll find all kinds of good stuff there about money and mindset. Awesome sauce. And you've written this excellent book and uh, got it published out there, which is really interesting. People can get that on Amazon, I'm sure. Yep. And independent booksellers. Independent bookstores, as they always like to say, you know, you got to support those independent bookstores. So order the book up, guys. Get a copy of Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, BAM, Book Passage. Uh, so uh, let's uh, get to know you a little bit better, uh, Lisa. Tell us about uh, kind of how you got here, what your origin story is, and everything else. Thank you. 
So I have always been quite interested in money from a really early age. At eight years old, I figured out how to mail away for seeds and started selling door to door. And you know those people, right, that are kind of like entrepreneurs from a very early age. That would be me. But my parents were also business owners. And so I think I was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And sadly, my parents weren't very good with money. And so the thing that, you know, I look at it when we're growing up, we might become like our parents or we may try really hard to become the opposite of our parents. And that was pretty much my story. I decided that if you had lots of money, then you were happy and everything was like the yellow brick road. And that, uh, that was a good idea. At least I thought so. So I went into the money business and worked in it for a really long time. Sadly, I also faced uh, several tragedies starting about 21 years ago. And that was a turning point where I started to realize that my obsession with money might not actually work out the way that I thought. (laughs) You know, I went through a similar journey. I grew up poor and uh, my family, uh, we grew up in North Hollywood and I used to walk the dog with Bob Barker as a kid and we were surrounded by money, but my parents uh, uh, managed uh, an apartment complex. And so, you know, they got a great deal living for free in, in, you know, two, we were two blocks down from the, the man theater or the Kodak theater, I think it's called now. Um, And so uh, I had the same sort of experience. I became successful, built my companies, became an entrepreneur at 18. But the the mindset with money and stuff became a challenge. So we can talk about that later. But uh, it kind of became like, is this is this all there is? And like, <laughs> it seemed like the more money I made, the more people, everyone just kind of hated me, which is probably me. <laughs> so uh, in, in your book, The Mindful Millionaire, you talk a lot about uh, different topics, and this is probably a good lead-in, I guess. Um in it, you uh, talk about uh, people that go through the different paradox. Um, and I guess, uh, what's the basic premise of your book? So it's it's this idea that, like we're talking about, where I think we've all got an idea of what's going to happen when we have the money. And so we go about our lives, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money or I'm going to do whatever it takes. And somewhere along the way, we realize that it's not really about the money. It's actually about what's going on inside of us. And that was the big wake up call for me that I realized, even though I became successful by my mid thirties, a self-made millionaire, I was really messed up inside. I had a lot of negative head garbage and I didn't really have anybody to kind of help me. And so I started out on a path to figure out what I could do to change that inner conversation because it was pretty messed up. I think I feel you in that because I I went through that sort of same thing. Um, You know, it seemed like uh, no matter how much I bought for everyone, the more they hated me, uh, the more, the more I paid for the party, the more what a jerk I was. (laughs) And, and I thought that, uh, when I went from being poor to being, uh, you know, rich, I, you know, solve my problems, heal my wounds, heal all my psychology issues. Um, it just seemed to create more. <laughs> so you talk about some of this in your book on how to deal with it and also how to be more mindful uh, with your money. Yeah. Well, what I ended up realizing after kind of being in the money business, which is where I went, it sounds like you you know, we pick these paths. I wanted to be around money. So I wanted to be a financial advisor. I wanted to help people with their money. And um, in the course of working with people and their money, I started noticing how 
I wasn't the only one who was struggling with these emotional aspects. And like a perfect example would be when things don't go your way, you sort of throw a temper tantrum and you're not really good at self-regulating, right? I mean, this is happening out there a lot right now, just to be clear. But I was that person. And I think that I would notice as a, I was a mortgage banker and eventually a financial advisor before I left and started this I would just notice how people, something would go wrong and literally people would be like screaming and yelling for no reason, you know, just totally pissed off, blaming everyone. And I was like, wait a minute, we have a like serious problem in our world about the way that we treat each other, especially as it pertains to money. Definitely so. I, I think I may have been one of those people, lots of screaming <laughs> and stuff. I mean, I, we, we built a, a little armada of companies and, uh, um, and I, I, one of them was a mortgage company. Um, and, uh, and I, I, for, there was a time there where I hit so many balls out of the park. I started one company, uh, and, and, uh, turned it into a multimillionaire company. And within, uh, what was it? Uh, a year and a half, I started a second company, turned that one. I mean, these all turned profits really quickly. Um, and then I did it with a third and then it, it kind of became this magic man sort of thing. And then when I went for the fourth ball, uh, it cost a lot of money and lost a lot for the first year. We did make a profit, but but yeah, I struggled with, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, some sort of syndrome of, of thinking I was better than I really was. Mm, yeah. A lot of the folks who come to me are realizing that, their patterns that they're repeating over and over again. So like maybe they hit a ceiling like you were talking about where you've had success, success. And then all of a sudden the success stops and they're questioning like, wait a minute, I thought I was really good at this and it's not working out anymore. And what I've learned is all my study and research that I chronicle in the book is meant to help people when they hit those walls, when they hit those ceilings, when they have the breakdown and they're not sure what to do. I started realizing that money is a great proxy for the relationship that we have with ourselves. And so if I could use money, I could direct people back into what is the pattern and how can you change it so you're not stuck in it anymore. Yeah. I mean, what, one of the problems I had was probably an internal relationship with a lot of other stuff that was missing in my life and, and stuff that wasn't making me happy. Like I thought, I thought buying all this stuff would make me happy. Um, I thought, you know, owning all this stuff would make me happy. I remember I, I kind of broke one time when I watched Fight Club and I started getting the concepts that were in Fight Club. And I realized that, that I, you know, what, what's the old lines from Fight Club where, uh, you know, we, we buy crap that, that uh, to impress people that don't give a crap about us basically. <laughs> and so, and so there was a lot of uh, issues that I had and probably, I probably should have read your book back in the day. Um, uh, some other things you talk about in the book is the concept of scarcity and how to get people more focused on their problems, which is probably what I should have done than uh, and impossible solutions available to them. Uh, and I guess that's important for people to understand. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of research actually that, when we're in this pattern of scarcity, also known as tunneling, we actually become stupid. Like it's like losing a full night's sleep. 
14 point reduction in IQ. So like the world is happening and yet we can't see all the options. All we see is a small portion of like, not enough. There's a problem. I can't get through this. And then we go and make decisions from a really deficient place and it doesn't work out that well. So the more we understand our own patterns of when that gets triggered and then what we can do differently is, is really, really helpful, especially right now with what's going on in the world. And PSA, from my experience, mixing with booze won't make it better. <laughs> You're struggling. Because uh, I turned to vodka for some of it. But, uh, and, and in some ways, it was, it was actually a creative tool for me. I used it like Hemingway did. Uh, but... Uh, uh, there came a point where it was more destructive than, than whatever. So I think it's really important people kind of understand these things. And if anything, prepare themselves. It was funny for me because since I, I was young and I was a dumb kid and I knew I was a dumb kid. So I read everything I could on sales, business, being a CEO. I, I led, read Harvard Business Review all the time. I'd skip college because I'd started my first company at 18 and been successful. And so uh, I prepared for everything. But I didn't prepare for the mindset of how to deal with money and, and uh, success, like what you talk about in your book. I hadn't prepared for any of that. I prepared for everything else. <laughs> and then I got there. I probably should have gone into counseling when I look back on it. But uh, so uh, basically you help people, uh, not only in your book, but you help your clients experience uh, how to get a healthy mentality towards money. Yeah, because I want to help them not worry about it. I want to help them be able to be more successful with the things that are most important to them. You know, sometimes we become so focused on money that we don't actually focus on, focus on like, what's our life passion? What do we really enjoy doing? And scarcity will do that. It'll make you think, well, I have to work hard for my money. And there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I need to do whatever it takes to make the money, even if that means sacrificing the things that are most important to me. And I think that I wanted to show people that there really is a possibility of turning your life in the direction of, of doing more of what you love, right? And not having it be a sacrifice. That also happens sometimes, you know, when you start a business, all of a sudden you're just struggling, whereas you made great money when you work for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, one of my challenges was none of the businesses I created were anything I loved. I wasn't passionate about any of them. The one thing I was passionate about that was my motivator was being a CEO and being the innovative guy, the idea guy, the, the buck stops here guy. And I love that. And I used to tell my investors or board, I used to say, you know, I don't even know why people pay me for this job because I would do it for free as long as I was that guy. Um, I was the guy, the ranger, you know, they dump out of the helicopter the Rambo in the middle of nowhere and they go cut a path for everyone else to come. Um, and, and so I used to love that. I used to love the challenge of it. Um, but not having the, you know, people come up to me in my offices and go, uh, it's so great that you found something you're purely passionate about. It used to really mess with my head. Cause I'd be like, I don't really care about any of this. I, I care. I would care about, I finally decided that I, I cared about being an investor and building these things. And that was my fun. But I still wasn't there. I wasn't happy. I was not happy. And, and so I just tried to buy everything for me and everyone else to make me happy and them happy. And that didn't work either. <laughs> so being, being mindful of your money and, and dealing with, you know, where money is, where your happiness is, where, where you are and everything else. 
uh, is really important. In, in your book, you talk about the power of discovering your true self, I guess. Yeah, so that was an interesting addition. Sometimes we think that we're writing a book, but in reality, the book is sort of writing us or something like that. (laughs) And the the book really had an agenda that was like, okay, it's not about the money. It's actually about this incredible relationship that you can have with yourself. And that the more you build that relationship, the greater you have a feeling of confidence in yourself. And then also that can translate to money. Some people also find out that they need a lot less to be just as happy or way more happy. So it's like figuring out your own, where you want to fall on the spectrum of how hard you want to work and how much money you want to have and creating a custom experience for yourself versus what other people tell you you need to be happy. That's a great commercial soundbite right there. I love that. Uh, I was actually on the phone with a friend of mine who uh, went, has gone through some uh, physical issues, uh, 120 days in the hospital. She uh, got the malaria uh, and almost died and, and you know, amputations and, and, and the challenge of just trying to live through that. And uh, I was talking to her the other night and she goes, you know, I just can't find the end of this. And I go, that's because the story isn't done yet. You got to go find your ending, but you got to go live it first. <laughs> So I love the analogy that, that you just gave of, of how uh, sometimes you think you're writing the book, but the book's writing you. <laughs> so uh, you do some studies in the book about children under the age of seven and uh, money in the book and the effect it can have on children as they're growing up. Uh, do you want to unpack that for us a little bit? Sure. I've had several people who read early editions of the book say that, well, I think this is great for me. I'm also realizing that it's helping me become a better parent. And the reason for that is, like you said, there are studies that say that our money personality is actually formed by the age of seven, which is mind blowing because we're not even dealing with money. So it means that all the stuff that was happening in the home when we were growing up, or if we have young children, like really notice because they are sucking it all up. They're putting it in that, you know, thing in the mind and storing it away in their emotional center, as well as in their practical patterns. And, and when we realize that the behaviors with money start really early in life, it, uh, it causes us to kind of think back like, well, what was happening in my home when I was four, five and six, maybe that's some of the reasons why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of stuff that people talk about. I don't know if this is the same vein, but but they talk about how, uh, you know, a lot of parents, you know, you'll be the kid and you're like, hey, mommy, mommy, can we buy a box of cereal? Come my mommy, mommy, can we buy this? And, you know, and she's standing at the cash register just trying to, you know, deal with the kids and, you know, get at, getting checked out and stuff. And she'll say, well, we don't have enough money for that. Or, you know, she's just nine times out of ten, she's just trying to get the kid to to calm down so, you know, they can get the order into place. Um, Some parents, though, that's very true, um, I think. And there's a lot of people that have talked about how psychologically that builds some scotomas where people, you know, it creates issues with money. Is that kind of the same thing you're talking about? Completely. And I was Mm. totally trained that way. And even while I was doing this work, my son called me out at doing it. So (laughs) it goes so deep, we don't even know it. And my nine-year-old's like, you just bought a new car and you can't buy me this candy bar. You got to go (laughs) Those are some negotiators right there. (laughs) Wow. 
Wow. The guilt too. You got to love it, man. Those kids are going to go far, man. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be negotiator attorneys or something like that. Um, put them over the thing. You know, what was interesting to me was one of the scotomas that my dad tried to put on me. Uh, and he was a good man. Um, he loved v- VWs back in the seventies and, um, and, and we had like three of these stupid things. Uh, he loved VW vans and VW things. And back then I think they were kind of still new to America. And so they were kind of like cheap and, and kind of cool. Um, and, uh, uh, I remember we would drive around cause I was born in Hollywood. And so on every corner I would see Mercedes, Rolls Royce, Benz, Bentley. I mean, BMW, like it was really, it was really world I, a weird world I lived in because I didn't understand money at the time, but I just saw this opulence around us and I just thought, okay, well, that's the way the world works. Right. You know, then when we moved out of North Hollywood, it was kind of a shock. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, I remember asking him, I'm like, dad, how come you don't drive like a Mercedes or a BMW? He'd be like, Oh, the bank owns those. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess he's right. He's my dad. And after a while I kept thinking, you know, I'd be like, Hey, that's a nice car. The bank owns those. And then, <laughs> and then one day I somehow I got wise and I went, so dad, does the bank own your, you know, piece of crap VW? <laughs> he had kind of one that was a beater. And uh, he goes, yeah, but it's not the same thing. And I'm like, well, I, how is it not the same thing? Shut up. <laughs> he got pissed. Um, but, uh, you know, then I realized that, that, oh, well, everyone finances their cars and the bank owns everything. And maybe my dad isn't quite, uh, I don't know where, where he's at. And maybe I should figure it all out. But, but he definitely kind of had some issues with money as well. And so, um, so this, this is something a lot of people need to clean up and think about. Uh, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I grew up poor. I thought money would fix everything. And, you know, I had two BMWs, uh, a house in Utah, a house in, uh, uh, Las Vegas, one in Denver, three offices, uh, in three different, four offices in three different States. Um, I just throw money at everything that was a problem, uh, including my own psychology, <laughs> Um, well, actually I didn't, I should have hired psychologists for that, but, um, but I bought a lot of things and threw a lot of parties, uh, thinking that would solve all my problems. I brought all the toys, everything I didn't have as a child growing up poor, I bought, and I figured that's going to, that's going to patch up that wound. And it didn't. <laughs> so, uh, perfect example of, of what you're talking about. Um, and, um, what was important for you in trying to get this book out to the world and, and help people? I think in working with so many people, you know, it's like one thing to know that you've got a pattern or that you've watched other people. But when I started working with people and they were willing to give me their stories and let me share the stories in the book, um, I got even more motivated because as we went through the process, I started to see that nobody had really tackled this in the way I was. Like I'm a super deep thinker. I don't like superficial responses. I don't like like the secret or like law of attraction where you're just like think and grow rich. I mean, I know that's a famous (laughs) book, but like I've never met a millionaire who was like, Oh, all I did was like manifest thought and grow rich. Yeah. Like, and so once I saw that people actually started making big changes, you know, like doubled their income or paid off a hundred thousand dollars in debt in a short amount of time, I was like, 
holy cow, this totally works. If somebody's committed, they're not committed. Nobody can help them. But if they're committed, like I have created a process that really, really works. And that was when you're like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, and, and you know how some coaches, they did, they just give you a little bit and then they're like, Oh, but you have to take my class or blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm going to give everything I teach in the book so that somebody could just buy the book and literally change their life if they wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I used to have that with clients. I'd be like, I give a little the training and they'd be like, Hey, can you just do like more of the work for us? (laughs) So that's great. It's great that you have the book and then you have so many other programs that you're running on your website and uh, ways to different help people take them through things because some people need, you know, something more in depth. Some people can just read it and, and get it. Um, You know, I, I, I like you have always been wary of, of, um, you know, I, I got into Tony Robbins early on, Lou Tice, um, uh, a couple other brilliant people. But I, I kind of uh, early on kind of figured out that, you know, just saying this, the the little swatch words or whatever you want to call them, the little sayings, you know, um, are, don't really do it. Like they don't, you, you got to do the work. You got to put in the effort. You can't just sit around, like you say, you know, uh, well, I became rich one day. I just said, think and grow rich and boom, there's money in my account. <laughs> I mean, there's some inner mining and, and once somebody realizes that it helps them, I think all we need is a little taste of it. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this like really works. Like it feels like a whole new world. And a lot of us need that restart. I, I think restarts are awesome. For me, it was a great restart. I got rid of my business partner who is actually just being a huge uh, weight on my, <laughs> on my life and business. Uh, you know, I was the contributor, I was the rock star, I was the creator and, and he would do a lot of the stuff that was, uh, um, just the rudimentary stuff. So I, I would create these, you know, the, the business. And then I'd be like, here, make sure the wheels go around. And he was good at that. And we had a great, really great business partnership for 13 years, uh, friendship for 22. But, uh, uh, once he kind of burned out on being an entrepreneur and, and decided he just wanted to go do something else, um, I was able to separate from him. And then I was actually able to save enough money to pull back and go, I, I really need some more me time. And um, I, I, you know, for a while I ran uh, a couple of our companies in Utah from Las Vegas uh, for a few years. Um, and I, I kind of started to do what I wanted to do. And that was really wonderful. And I wasn't making quite as much as I used to make when I had 100 employees. And we had, you know, just the major out, you know, output of all that stuff that you got to deal with. Um, but I was much happier. Like I could spend time with my dogs and, and, and I, could, I could work on being more happier. And my life quality, even though I wasn't making quite as much money, uh, just improved like by 10 trillion percent. And as a human being... Uh, I, I just, you, you just can't put a price on, on happiness really when it comes down to it. Yeah. I think that, you know, times again, with what we're going through, there's maybe more interest in kind of regrouping and saying, well, what really does bring me happiness? Maybe all that spending wasn't doing what I thought. And I think also we live in a society that's based on instant gratification. And when we start to realize that we could spend less, save more, prepare better for our future, we don't know how long we want to work. You know, some of us love work and we're going to do what we're doing for the rest of our lives. But 
there also are jobs that aren't able to be done that way. And so being able to really take good care of yourself now and later is what I'm trying to live by and teach others. Yeah. And it, it makes, and like I do what I, I've done what I want and whatever I want to do since 2004, I've been able to work my own hours, do my own thing. I mean, I worked my own hours before, but when you get to a certain level of, of uh, complexity with your multi-businesses and, and tons of employees, I mean, you, you got to show up nine to five and stuff, but, um, but I've had just incredible freedom to be able to do what I want, work on my projects, uh, work on my life. You know, this is what I do. One of the things that I do, I love to podcast, love to talk to other people, find out, uh, you know, people who are smarter than me, be able to pick their brains so that I can get hopefully smarter. I don't know. There's a lot of work here that's got to be done right here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, it, but I love this because I love the adventure of talking to people, finding out how they got where they're at, where they came from, what built them, what made them, what motivated them. To me, that I find that really interesting because it's such a beautiful kaleidoscope of this world. And so me being able to have that freedom, and maybe that was my happiness, is being able to have the freedom to do what I wanted. Because I literally, back then, I literally, I used to tell people, I live in a gold, gilded cage. Like, you look at me and you're like, this guy has everything I could ever want. And I'm like, I live in a cage. I live in a state that I hate. I, li- I work with people that I'm not all that excited about. Um, everyone, no matter what I do, I'm just always a pinata. You know, all your, you know, people come in the room and be in my office and be like, hey, we need to borrow some money off you. Why? Why me? Because you're rich. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, people steal from me and be like, well, you know, you have money, you're the boss, you don't miss it. <laughs> you're just like serious. And, um, and so a lot of times I, we, I just felt like I had a big old, like, like dartboard on my back or, you know, one of those arrow things. And, um, and, and I just felt so, so abused. Um, and then once I got free and I started making choices about my happiness and what I really wanted to do, um, that, that just made my life so much better. So I really, I really believe in what you talk about your book and support it because, um, it's, it's night day. I'm not, I, I mean, I was ready to just blow my brains out. Seriously. I was, I was at the end of my wits when I, when I finally, uh, got free of everything I needed to do in 2004 and, and my life's been so great ever since then. <laughs> just do you think that. that you made, you just made your own happiness, like mm-hmm. you committed to your own happiness? Yeah. And, uh, and, and it didn't, it, it, a, a good part of it was getting rid of my business partner who was a drainer. Um, and, you know, I, I'd say to him, I'd say, Hey, Hey man, we need some ideas cause we're bleeding out cash in this portion of the business, uh, go home with some ideas. Here's the thing. And, and he would come back with nothing and you'd just be like, whatever. I, I think when we got rid of him, uh, I replaced him with somebody for like $1,200 a month or something. <laughs> Like, a, like an assistant or something. And that was the amount of work he was putting in. Um, and so, yeah, then it just became a journey about what do I want to do now? I have all this time on my hands. I'm not working for everyone else anymore. I mean, I'm working for uh, employees, but, but not like at the scale that I need to do to s- support both me and my ex-business partner. And so, yeah, it became a journey of, well, what do I want to do? And then, of course, with the recession uh, forcing me to realign, uh, trashing my mortgage business and all of our other companies, uh, I had to realign there and, and reinvent myself. And But the beauty was is I, I had always been the inventor. So uh, 
I just had to figure out what the next thing was to work and uh, make that work. And fortunately, whatever sort of skills or talents I had uh, made that work. But the focus, like you say, on being happy, on finding out what makes me tick, on doing what makes me work. You know, freedom's a freedom's a big thing to me. I don't know if that's I don't know if freedom is something you find with most people um, that that are trying to find that happiness. I think a lot of people are, but a lot of people are so drinking the Kool-Aid of mm-hmm. the, the being, I don't have a choice. Yeah. You don't know how to get out of that pattern. Yeah. You know, so freedom, just like money has different meanings for every single person you put it in front of. But I think that as a human being, we do want that feeling. And I, and I think the closer we get to it, the more we see that our whole life is actually kind of, um, the, our joy is only going to be found in that place of some degree of freedom. And the more you can walk away, like I love that idea of having money that, you know, people call it F you money where <laughs> they like, I'm, I want this number because I may not, I may stay in my job or I may lose, leave my job, but I want to know that I never have to put up with things that I don't believe in. Right. Or, you know, it's just, that's freedom for a lot of people. I thought it was freedom. Um, and you know, one thing I remember, I was listening to Anthony Robbins when I was young, I think this is one of his first, some of his first seminars in 1989 when I got a chance to meet him. Uh, and, and he talked about how he worked with some executives and he met people that, you know, they made $50,000 a year and they were incredibly happy. And then he worked with people who made $3 million a year and they were just miserable because they didn't make $5 million a year. They only made $3 million a year. And they're just, their whole attitude and their whole life outlook was, I'm horrible. I'm doing awful. I'm, I'm a failure. And you're just like, you're making $3 million a year. <laughs> And, and so I think, you know, this is one of the things that I wish they'd teach in school, uh, how to deal with money, how to deal with credit, how to deal with all these different things that they don't teach people, which are real life needs and skills. Um, uh, so I, I really think you're right. In your book, you talk about something called I Prosper, uh, which is the process uh, uh, where you guide through, uh, I guess, part two of your book. Can you unpack uh, that process for us? Sure. So as I was mentioning, I kind of worked with people and then I reverse engineered the process that they went through. And then I started to give that process more of a life of its own. And so I prosper stands for intention, pattern, reclaiming your feelings, opportunity, story. So story is like the pivotal sort of, you think of the hero's journey. And I, I talk a lot about that where you all of a sudden realize that the world that you've been kind of thinking existed isn't the world that really exists. And so you break through into like a new era of the way you live. And so I use story to help people write their own old story and then write the new story. And then we move into permission, evidence, and reinvention. And so it's all about what's the process that you can do over and over again. Whenever you hit an obstacle in life, you're looking at like, why am I doing this stuff? Why is it, you know, needing to change? And then, and then at the end, that's where I tie in the finance part because I want to teach people that they can start to have their finances look differently and be more self-supporting than maybe what they're doing now, which might not be helping them, you know, with their long-term goals. 
I really love that. I mean, that's, I can affirm that journey that I had to go on. Um, and, and, and just being more doing what I want and being free to do what I want. I mean, I literally, I used to tell people, I, I live in a gilded cage. Like you think this is great. I feel trapped. Like I feel trapped. And, and I think one of my problems was my, was my money mental issue where I wasn't dealing with what was going on inside of me or inside of my head. I was just throwing money at everything. Like, and I remember there was a, there was a really insecure period. I went where it, it would drive me crazy if I wouldn't at least every weekend go down and just buy something at the mall. Like, like I would, it, I, it was like this really weird insecurity period that I went through where I'm like, you gotta go buy something for the house um, down at the mall. You know, I was like, it was a really, I don't know. I should have seen a counselor, I suppose. Uh, probably should still. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, my listeners like, yeah, really serious, Chris. We've listened to 500 episodes. We, yeah, it's probably time. Um, so anyway, but no, I think this is really great. And like I said, I can affirm the uh, brilliance of your book and, and the thought process you're putting into you and your clients um, because it, it, it does happen. And I, I can now realize, and I realize this in epiphany with you coming on the show, that I should have prepared for this more. So it's probably a great thing, even if you're not successful yet and you're not making a lot of money yet. I mean, this is a great book if you are, but uh, to read this book ahead of time to prepare yourself for being in that position because when you're in it, it's such a whirlwind of, of, of an experience. It's a hurricane and you're stuck in the eye and you're, you can feel very trapped sometimes. And which is weird because people don't ever think that like people are like, you can do whatever you want. And you're like, uh, I can't really. Cause <laughs> the piece that's coming to mind as you share that is like, questioning our assumptions is something that I don't think people are always great at. And when you get in the habit of like questioning the assumptions that you just believe is true, a whole new way of looking at the world, perspective, relationships, it changes. So Mm -hmm. I love, you know, giving people questions and it's like, they can't answer it because it's so deep. They're just like deer in headlights, like, oh, (laughs) crap because they know that this is an area that they just haven't paid that much attention to and you know you bring up a good point relationships uh i've always been a single guy all my life and uh and when i became successful i was still single and i was actually still single i mean i i started my first company was 18. So one of my biggest problems was I was a building company. So it was really hard to date the first few years. And the first few years we were really in that, that grind mode of, of sweat equity and 24 seven. And, and, you know, there was, just wasn't time to date. And, and I was so into being an entrepreneur and creating and just loving that whole part of my life. Uh, I kind of ignored that whole uh, end of it. I didn't have time. Um, but then once I became successful, I started to date. And, and a lot of the problems that I was having with my money and my mentality, like you talk about and me, uh, was also flushed into my relationships, as you mentioned. Um, and, and that wasn't healthy either. <laughs> I wasn't the best boyfriend, uh, fiance in the world sometimes. Um, and, and, and a lot of that I approached from a money aspect too. Cause like, uh, I don't know, give her a bigger diamond, you know? Uh, what, whatever she wants, uh, go to the oyster bargain and I don't, I just, whatever, let's just throw money at it. And that maybe that'll fix it. And it didn't. And I really had to get that life balance. Yeah. Relationships, I feel like are a big 
factor that improves as mm-hmm. a result of going through it because I know I've applied it in my relationship with my husband over and over and over again. And I can honestly say after 33 years, Mm. we have a better relationship and more love and more intimacy than like we ever have. And I think it's the opposite of what a lot of people feel like when you're together for that long, you're like, well, doesn't it die out? And I'm like, actually, when you keep reinventing who you are and you keep growing as a person and expanding and questioning the assumptions and you encourage your partner to do the same, because believe me, like they kind of get dragged along actually for a while. <laughs> they dragged, dragged him along, but he knows it and he's okay with it because he's like, my life is better as a result of these, these shifts because he has to keep up and, and he becomes a better person and a better father and a better husband as a result. I think that's pretty brilliant. You do have to grow together. I might've been better off if I would have gotten married and started the family thing before I started my businesses. Um, but you know, I mean, this is the role. That's the way it went. Um, but, uh, but I think a lot of people probably have challenges um, in, in their relationships with money. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen people that, they they get successful in business and then their partner starts to be a sabotager. Uh, they don't like the change. So they start sabotaging the change. They start sabotaging the money. That actually was what broke up my uh, partnership that I had with, uh, well, one of the partnerships and business things that I've done. Um, that But that's what uh, happened with my long thing. We got a Yoko Ono in the, uh, in the gears. And the Yoko Ono started talking to the my business partner, <laughs> telling him, you know, you, you don't need that Chris Voss guy. Um, and so, but but sometimes it happens. Like like I I used to meet people and they'd be like, why do you need this BMWs in the the big house? And I'm like, mm, I don't know. I grew up poor. This is I'm fixing something. But I I really wasn't fixing anything. Uh, I I really wasn't fixing any wound because there was still that poor kid in me that that, I don't know, just didn't get hugged enough at a child or whatever the hell my problem was. <laughs> I mean, we do try to fill the hole with money, but mm-hmm. we also try to fill the hole with relationships. And I yeah. think that's why I had one person, after they finished the book, they came back and they said, you know, you could take the word money out of I Prosper and put in food and it would be the mm-hmm. same thing. Or you could put in relationships or love and have it be the mm-hmm. same exact process I mean, that's when you know you're really hitting upon truth, you know, kind of transformational truth is if it can work in a whole, a whole bunch of different settings and still have an impact in, in people's lives. Well, it sounds like you've nailed some pretty good paradigms on life and behavior and, and things that uh, help us be truly successful and happy. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it gives, it gives you that, that uh, spectrum where you can look at a lot of these different things and growth and patterns. And, and, and like I say, to me, being happy was the richest thing ever. Now I may not make as much money as I used to make back in the crazy days, but I'm happy and I will trade the sanity of, of mine that I used to have to go through. Um, the, uh, I'll trade that for just about anything. You, you almost can't put a price on it. And, me being able to be free enough to work my whole life uh, from home, spend time with my dogs, do whatever I want, travel, uh, see things, you know, being able to escape, take time off and do just like really whatever I want. Back then I couldn't because things were so tight and there was so much going on. You know, we have multiple businesses, not just one. And, and so, you know, you'd be like, well, why don't we take a week vacation? You'd be like, hey, I, there's no way, you know, 
There's no way. I have to take these weekend jaunts uh, and because you just were spinning so many plates. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's really important people get this. And I encourage people to check out your book because um, I, I, I should have prepared better for uh, the money thing. I just thought it was easy. And a lot of people did too. A lot of people just say to me, well, it's great that you can, you've got so much money, you can do whatever you want. And you're like, I actually can. That's kind of doesn't make any sense to me when I think about it. <laughs> Yeah. And so uh, pretty good stuff. So uh, great stuff to have in your book. I encourage everyone to check it out. Anything more we need to know, Lisa, today about you and your book and what you guys are doing over there? I think just the reminder of what we've been talking about, that even if things aren't where you want them to be right now, the the possibility and the opportunity is limitless, regardless of what's going on in the economy, there's always an opportunity to thrive. And I just want to encourage people to like do whatever it takes to know that you have the life we're talking about, like that you're really happy because you deserve it. And how fast can we help you get there? Really? Definitely. Definitely. The mindful millionaire revolutionary program for finding peace, joy, and prosperity inside of your relationship with money. I, I really recommend people get the book because uh, I've I've lived that uh, challenge both up and down, and uh, I'm probably always still on that journey where you're always trying to just find the perfect life balance, money balance, and things like that. I mean, like right now, I think a lot of people are going through that. We're going through that too, where you know the economy's changed. I think uh, overnight I lost like $40,000 as soon as they cancel some of the big events we do every year uh, for public events. And so now I'm in kind of a different mind with your money sort of experience where uh, it's a recessionary mind for your money. Fortunately, I've lived through it before through 2008. So I have some pretty good skills. I'm falling back on a lot of those muscle memories that comes back to me for that. But I think a lot of people would be going through those challenges. I don't know. Do you think that's uh, probably preeminent here in, in what we're doing in, in, uh, this crisis that we're going through? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, if you've been through it before, maybe you have some skills, maybe you haven't been through it before. Um, definitely connect with people that have built that resiliency that you're talking about, because I don't think we're through it. You know, I think that we're still watching what's going to be unfolding. And the more you can take good care of yourself, make good choices, the better off you're going to be. Most definitely. Most definitely. So I encourage everyone to check out the book. Give us the dot coms, Lisa, where people can look you up on the interwebs. So mindfulmillionairebook.com. And the reason that site is so helpful is in addition to the book, when you buy it, then you can come and get all kinds of meditations because we didn't even talk about meditation. Mm big element inside of like guided meditations and things that go along with the book. So you get all access to that there. And then wealthclinic.com, I have a quiz that tells you about like what's going on and what might be that pattern that is not working for you. So you can take that quiz at wealthclinic.com. Awesome sauce. I'm looking at your website and it says, uh, you know, you guys address the inner dimensions of money, thought, beliefs, uh, cultural conditioning, trauma. People do have trauma. Uh, but I think my whole life is a trauma. No, I'm just kidding. Um, half of it is. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, just, and, and I, like I said, I would talk to people and they'd be like, oh yeah, when you have money, then everything's perfect. <laughs> And everything goes your way. It's just, so I want to have money someday too. And you're like, uh, I can tell you that it's not quite there. But yeah, uh, but meditation probably would have helped me back in the day because my, one of my problems was there was just so much noise. 
so much noise and so much pressure and and i would create more noise just to i don't know it you just got fed on the drug of it um you're like okay well just we need more noise we need more stuff and we need more activity and and more pressure and maybe that'll make things better and you're like nah sometimes <laughs> it's not gonna quite make the diamond that i'm looking for but uh, i encourage everyone to go get her book uh the mindful millionaire by lisa peterson be sure to check her out on the interwebs i encourage my uh audience to thank you for staying all the way through be sure to go to uh the cvpn.com the chris voss podcast network.com you can subscribe to all nine podcasts over there and uh, we've got a lot of great brilliant authors in fact from uh saint martin's press which is i believe the publishers of the mindful millionaire we got some great guests coming from them and other book publishers go to youtube.com for just chris voss to see the video version of this wonderful discussion uh lisa thank you for being on the show thank you chris it's been awesome thanks to my audience and we'll see you next time